quite soothing to the ears. It is a blackberry blend. A little bit of blueberry. See some apple, maybe a little pear. A tinge of banana. And a hint of carrot. Truly amazing. Unlike what we're reading here. Let's just get back to it. If you (laughs) um, heard me last time, I got a little angry. and going to do my best not to get angry in this episode of Grown Man's Book Club. If you didn't pick up, we are reading chapter 10. It must not be again. Page 115, last paragraph. Um, There's really not much to say about it all. It's a depressing chapter. That's really all I can say. That's how I felt. Y'all get your own feelings from it because I got pissed off. And so they use a lot of vulgar language, especially in these next couple pages. Talking shit that they really don't know what they talking about. But we're going to get through it. And to start it off. We're going to be summoning the papers earlier from the assertion. And these papers that were filed, asserted earlier, have that been asserted by Atkins and Guston had failed to deceivably squash the quote-unquote war plans of the real or imaginary agitator. So... That was a little confusing. Let's just give you caught the fuck up. So, these two names they just mentioned, Atticuson and Goosen, they were basically the poly. And to start everything off, you had a Dick Rowling. That was his name. I want to make sure I get his shit right. Yeah, you... It was the... Come on, bro. I just seen his name in the next page, and now I can't find shit. So we're going to read about the clan. I think we're going to read about three pages, because I've just seen the Ku Klux Klan, so I don't know what the fuck we're going to read about now. All I know is it's about these police who maybe or maybe not had... Dis- created a plan to burn the black part of the neighborhood and the black part ended up being where they put the industry at later the tribute editorialist declared the bad niggers started it where were these bad niggers not made to feel the force of law and respect the force of law. The point of the editorial was to heap coals of the city administration for not keeping the black population in line. The effect undoubtedly was the neutralized sympathy for the distinct African Americans. You know, I wish we really would stop trying to act like these folks are African Americans. 
they're not. They're fucking citizens. Like, the fuck is wrong with these folks? They're people, bro. We are people. Anyways, these these vulgar terms aren't mine. If you feel attacked of how I'm speaking through this, understand that this is our system in America. If you're angry about what you're hearing, understand this is what America proves to be on its fucking bookshelves. I didn't choose this. A fact driven home by another plea or contributions to the relief fund, not for the sake of blacks who, given the editorial phrasing... Apparently did not qualify as Rhea Tulsa's. But for the honor of Tulsa and its commercial stability, from the very first white blamed the riot on the black man who went to the courthouse on the night of May 31st. That somewhat balanced through by the equal disband. Publicity at least for the whites who burned and pillaged Greenwood within days if not ours, that balance between the tilt in ways reflected and perhaps driven by local newspaper reporting appeals to white Tulsans were blunted by editorialists and public figures suggesting that black Tulsans brought their destruction on themselves by failing to control their unruly elements. And with the real estate exchange proposal came as insertion that the means for a letter and better African-American district was in place if only the black property owners themselves would take the offer deal. W.F. Seaver, the Paramus County attorney, who seemed to have enough money in his budget to prosecute but any but the simple c- cases Hope to resolve the criminal indictments arised from the riot without a grand jury. He thought the less formal and presumably cheaper court of inquiry route would be sufficient. He must have been the only person in America who did. Just about everyone from part President Harding on down demanded a th- thorough investigation. The D- Justice Department announced its own probe, a perfunctory, perfunctory one. And it turned out in part because a proposal substation on North Greenwood had burned nationally... N- Newspapers and public figures clamor for justice. Governor Robinson was ahead of them. On June 2nd, he formally asked Judge Evangene Bidson to call a grand jury and follow it up by detailing the the ambitious and sometimes... Bombstick State Attorney Prince Freeling to oversee it. There will be a grand jury impaneled in a 
very short time, Robinson wrote in his instructions to Freeling, but I think it is very necessary that you be on the grounds to preserve evidence for when the grand jury convicts. I am determined that the cause of this great riot will be asserted with responsibility for the same affixed and brought to justice. Many whites and probably some blacks expected such of the investigation to find most of all of the guilty parties to be African-American. Barrett, while still in charge, ordered Stanford's arrest, citing statements by numerous refugees that the hotel owner was in principle agitator of open rebellion against the whites and mostly responsible for fanning into fanning into fires the spark that was ignited tuesday night by the african-americans repeated foray to the courthouse stanford thought was long gone jailed briefly independence kansas where arranged eventually settling in chicago stanford tried unsuccessfully to sue his insurance company in the illinois courts saying he could not do so in Oklahoma because he feared a Ku Klux Klan jury. So that's where our jury comes from. Our fucking jury is the Ku Klux Klan. Holy shit. You fucking assholes. Oh, I'm not getting pissed off. Sorry. I'm not getting emotional. Okay, page 17, second paragraph. A.J. Smitherman also fled. He called Sheriff McCulligan on June 3rd from an undisclosed location and promised to surrender himself in a few days, but never did. He made his way to Boston, where he wrote and published his long poem about the riot. Later, he moved to Buffalo, New York, where he started a newspaper and spent the rest of his life. Smitherman's younger brother, John, and deputy sheriff, who got into a shouting match with police detective Ike Wilson and the TPD sergeant during the heat of the riot, was jailed June 3rd. Two black men, Henry Jacobs and John Henry Potts, told investigators that John Smitherman had taken an active role in organization, organizing the courthouse stories that and his interpents Hargu kept John Smitherman behind bars for more than a month until two women posted bond. Some African-Americans tried diverting attention from Stanford, and the Smithermans, a few said, had blamed Dick Rowland. O.W. Gurley, under scrutiny himself, conceded that guns and ammunition were distributed at the Tulsa Star, but that A.J. Smitherman told his followers not to participate, not to participate trouble. Barry Cleaver said an all-around bad Negro named Will Robbins led the all-black led the black men at the courthouse, and that some of the others were ex-servicemen with an aggressive 
aggregated, aggravated, exaggerated, were ex-servicemen with an exaggerated idea of their own importance and wanted to show the white folks that nothing could intimidate them. They had costed him everything he owned. Cleaver said he intended to see them locked up, but two years later, just before the statute of limitation told, Cleaver told a different story. He joined dozens of property owners, white and black, in filing lawsuits that allegedly a conspiracy involving local officials and business interests. Whites, too, went to jail, but mainly for possession of stolen property. Cowboy Long, a knowledge leader of the arsonist and likely candidate in the Jackson murder, was not arrested until June 20th. During the interim, he was able to get a district court injunction stopping the police from raiding his drugstore on East 2nd Street. Even though Long had been known as a bootlegger and all-around back bad actor since at least 1917. Samoans Samoas went out on June 4th for a grand jury to convene, convene on Wednesday, June 8th. Just a week after the riot, Freeling arrived in Tulsa on Sunday, June 5th. He ultimately conceded to an extraordinary court of inquiry at the Chambers of Commerce offices on the fourth floor of the city hall, where he was to hear secret, unofficial testimony behind closed doors on Tuesday afternoon. The burden for carrying out Governor Robinson's direct felt heaviest on Freeling. His assistant, Catherine Van Fulen, and George Short and Suvers assisted John Goldberry. A Tennessee native and Harvard graduate, the grandly named Sergeant Prince Freeling was, in the word of early Oklahoma journalist Walter Harrison, a handsome a human being has ever faced an audience. His voice was mellifous, his knowledge vast, his presence charming. He was a man's man. Freelings hung out in the slinging in Shawnee, 30 miles east of Oklahoma City. In 1900, and soon was appointed assistant court attorney. He became a county attorney in 1908 and attorney general in 1914. As the state top lawyer, Freeling was prone to pontificating and to personal prosecuting high-profile cases. In February 1921, Freeling had taken charge of the sensation Clara Smith-Hammond murder trial at Armour. This beautiful young Clara was accused of fatally wounding Jacob Harmon, a wealthy oilman who was experienced to have a prominent role in the New Harling administration. Clara was in the mar- was the married Harmon's mistress and secretary and the wife of his nephew.
What the fuck? You're fucking your brother's son's girlfriend? No, wife? You're fucking your son's girlfriend's wife and you're the fucking good character? What the fuck? What the fuck? Clara was married Hammond's mistress and secretary and the wife of his nephew. Lingering six days before dying, Jake Harm initially claimed to have accidentally shot himself, but there was never much doubt that Clara had fired the gun. She disappeared the night of the shooting and became the subject of a national search before eventually surrendering, surrendering in Mexico. At trial, Clara said she shot Hammond in self-defense to escape his physical and mental abuse. The jury deliberated 39 minutes before quitting her. Robinson then ordered Feeling to take over a Tulsa bank robbery case. What the fuck did we just learn? What the fuck? Okay, I'm angry. I have to end. I, I, I can't do I can't move on. Uh, you are fucking your nephew's wife what the fuck is wrong with you bro you're not even a bro you were a disgusting piece of shit and i'm sorry for putting judgment i i i I can't i can't do that i can't do that that was a judgment and I stoop to that level. And we're not here to put judgments. I have to stop reading for the rest of this episode. So if you're looking for more material, that's been it. Uh, I'm not going to end this year for the people that care about the brand. Because that's not enough to stop on. That's enough to put the book down. That ain't enough to stop talking. I mean, we. This girl got caught in Me- caught up in Mexico. In Mexico, y'all. In fucking Mexico. She went on the run. Cause she knew that money was gonna buy her soul. She won't see it. White or black, black and white, it's the same fucking thing. It's the same thing. People don't want to admit it. Everyone comes and goes. And all that's left is what you're willing to say you stood for. And that man's a bitch. And I stand on that.
we gotta see better, y'all. Has to.